Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome back to another episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. We continue to have some great conversations with experts in the field of sports today. A longtime college coach who's had tremendous success in a number of different areas and different programs, both building programs, sustaining programs. He's done a tremendous job over the last six years at the University of Houston. Coach Kelvin Sampson. Coach, how is life down in Houston for you right now? <laughs> well, first of all, Dan, it's good to be on uh, with you. Um, uh, I, I, I vividly remember your uh, playing career at uh, um, Gonzaga. You're one of the pillars of uh, starting what, what's one of the great basketball programs in, uh, uh, in our – so it's an honor to be with you today. Uh, as far as Texas um, – you know, I think the uh, high today is going to be 98 with a um, heat index of 106. <laughs> so, uh, unless you got to go outside, walk your dog, I'd, I would stay. I'd stay inside. That's what I plan to do. Well, 98 in in Houston in the middle of uh, July is actually not that bad. So, uh, but I, yeah. I like the idea of staying inside and not doing much with that heat. You know, I, I touched on you kind of built some programs, you sustained programs at a high level. I want to take you all the way back to the start of your coaching uh, career. You, uh, you were a grad assistant at Michigan State under Coach Judd Heathcote. He's a, a, somebody who I got to know during my time at Gonzaga because he ended up living in Spokane for a number of years. What's the biggest takeaway that, that you remember from Coach Heathcote? Um. How hands-on he was in every aspect of the program, um, and I mean every aspect. Uh, I uh, for years and years when I did overnight basketball camps, for instance, I ran my overnight basketball camps just like Judd did. Um, I did bed check, and when I say I did bed check, um, you know, Washington State, uh, George Raveling was too cold for me. Um, the, the coach that hired me at Washington State was Lynn Stevens. So I was Lynn's assistant uh, for two years. Uh, it's kind of a weird story how I got to know Lynn and how I got to Washington State. Um, but my first two jobs were uh, directly from uh, Judd's. Uh, when Judd um, High School in Spokane, his first year in college was at Montana Tech. That's where he enrolled in college. He was a math major. So my first job as an assistant coach uh, was an assistant at Montana Tech. And then, I, then the coach left, and I replaced him and become head coach. And then my second job was an assistant at Washington State. The coach, uh, Lynn, left to become the head coach at University of Nevada. And um, Judd got on the phone with him and said, listen, if this guy can win at Montana Tech, he's good chance he can win at Washington State. I'm not sure Washington State balted. But um, uh, this is a true story, Dan. Uh, my first contract at Washington State was for two years and um, um, $84,000. That's 42000 a year. That's how much I made, 42000 Now, that was 
I think I was making 28,000 as an assistant. So my wife thought it was a really big pay raise. I saw it as, uh, you know, I, I was just a guy to hire now to get to a real coach in a couple of years so we can get our program going. So, um, but uh, Judd, Judd was hands-on. Uh, he, he had such a great impact on, on my life. Um, you know, it, the, the great thing about Judd, I, I went from probably being intimidated by him when I was a 22-year-old grad assistant, um, watching uh, Irvin Johnson, uh, Gregory Kelso, Jay Vincent, that bunch practice every day, uh, just in awe of, of everything. I didn't know whether to go go fill the water cups up or shine the balls or uh, or ask for their autograph. I mean, I was I was in awe uh, of, of everything at Michigan State. And then when I left um, and, and became a head coach and and started doing some things, Jed Jed became my greatest supporter. You know, I I know how close he was to Mark Few and and uh, Dan Monson and all those guys. But if you were one of Judd's guys, he made everybody feel that way. You know, if you – like, Judd made you feel special. Like, I'm more uh, – he treated me probably a little better than, than you. Well, no, he didn't. <laughs> he treated everybody the same. That was, that was the magic and um, the greatness of Judd. He made everybody uh, feel special. And I've tried to do the same thing. You know, I, you, know you don't try to be somebody else, but you try to – take away from uh, other people things that you admire or things that you you respect of others, like doing this uh, little podcast for you. If you had called Judd and asked him to do this, Dan, Judd, Judd would do it. You know, that, that was just who he was. And, and if you're around Judd and if you're going to uh, uh, try to become better yourself, well, still, still things from people that, uh, that you admire. So when, when uh, people call and ask me, for interviews and things, if I can do it, I always say yes, uh, because that's that's the way I was taught to do it. Yeah, I can uh, concur with those comments about Judd and the times that I uh, spent around him, because uh, when I was playing at Gonzaga, he would even come to a lot of our open gyms, you know, because yeah. of the college head coach or an assistant, you couldn't be in the gym watching the pickup games. But Judd Heathcote would come, he'd <laughs> flop a chair down right at midcourt, and he'd be barking out instructions or, yeah. uh, you know, making sure that everybody's getting back on defense, fighting through screens. I remember clearly one time I shot a pull-up three in transition that was probably a little <laughs> deeper than Judd's liking. And before I was able to get back on defense, he stood up from his chair and started yelling at me yeah. for a bad shot. And I was like, Coach, this is, uh, you know, the first week of getting back to school. You're playing pickup, kind of getting the getting yeah. the juices flowing again with your teammates. But Judd was a phenomenal person. Great to hear those stories and the impact that he had on you. He, is, he used to call me when I was at the uh, uh, University of Oklahoma – I didn't really want to leave Washington State because we had our best teams coming back. You know, I had Mark Hendrickson and Isaac Fontaine, Nate Erdman, uh, Carlos Daniel. You know, th those kids were all freshmen and sophomores. Uh, we had just gone to the NCAA tournament, and um, uh, Oklahoma was kind of uh, sweating me a little bit, putting pressure. They, you know, they were doing some things uh, to make me, you know, it's just like recruiting. You know, it's like you got a good player, you're going, you're going to recruit him. And uh, so I called Judd, Judd 
because I know Judd would, in his own way, uh, make this black and white. You know, Judd, um, so Judd said, uh, are you stupid? <laughs> and he kind of answered, of course you are, because that's, that's why you're asking. He said, yeah, you, you've, you're doing good at Washington State, but you're going to have a cycle where maybe you don't do so well. And then uh, what are you going to do then? He said, maybe at Oklahoma, um, it's going to take you a while to get where Washington State is right now, but you probably can sustain it easier there. And uh, I kind of had thought about that, but maybe not in those words. So um, my first couple of years, I'd get a call from Judd. And, uh, you know, uh, my secretary at Oklahoma was just a sweetheart. Her name was Renee. Um, uh, she was with me for t my 12 years there. But Judd would call and Renee say, um, you know, basketball office. Uh, let me, Judd, uh, let me speak to Kelvin. Uh, uh, sir, could I ask what this is about? No, just tell him it's Judd. Um, was, can I, can I go in and tell coach what this is uh, concerning? And uh, Judd chewed her ass out. Uh, <laughs> and she comes, coach, I don't know. This guy is really rude, but he says he has to talk to you. I said, well, who is it? And he said his he said his name was Judd. He wouldn't give me his last name. I said, oh, shit. Sure. Just put him in. Just put him in. <laughs> so I grabbed the phone. Judd, and Judd starts, uh, you know, chewing my butt out. What are you in the witness protection program? program <laughs> and then he'll call and say Kel I got good news and bad news which one you want first I said um give me the good news first well the good news is uh I saw your game last night I said oh, okay well then what's the bad news the bad news is I saw your game last night <laughs> who's in charge of recruiting your guards <laughs> so when I when I got calls from Judd, I, I always knew they were going to be adventurous, uh, at least. Yeah, it's a couple classic stories for, for Judd Heathcote. But the comment about who recruited your guards, he's got the ability to make that comment because he had one of the greatest guards ever in Magic Johnson. So I'm sure, you know, his eye for talent was at that level of needing yeah. Magic Johnson as compared to whatever school you're at recruiting the, the players that you needed. But you talked about the Washington State years, and you had some tremendous teams and some players. And one of the ones I really kind of was curious, uh, it's not about how you dealt with him, um, but how you helped him kind of navigate. And that was Mark Hendrickson, one of 13 guys to ever play Major League Baseball and in the NBA. So he was a tremendous athlete. How did you help him navigate um, you know, his young career, both while you were recruiting him, allowing him to do both, and then allowing him to play both in college? Well, when we, when we were recruiting uh, Mark, um, you know, Mark was from Mount Vernon, and uh, he had a great high school coach. And I got to be good friends with him. Uh, but during the process, um, I remember Mark came over for his uh, official visit um uh dan um i knew i knew how important baseball was our baseball coach at the time was named bobo brayton and i'd go down and uh, talk to bobo um and I, and I always look for reasons to go talk to bobo i always learned something from him i just loved his stories he was a lot like judd they had, they had a very similar old school discipline tell you tell you how it is um uh, background but I said, Boba, how good is Mark in baseball? Well, 
You know, he had that gravelly voice. Doesn't throw very hard, but he's smooth. You know what smooth does, Samp? Smooth improves. <laughs> that, that, that was classic Bobo. And he was right. Mark, Mark didn't throw in the mid-90s or any of that, but he, he ninety, but his ball would just slide. You know, slide in on right-handers, uh, slide away on left-handers, away on left-handers, is up and is down. Um, but I knew that, that Mark wanted to play baseball. And Mark was, Mark was an analytical guy. Making decisions was right easy for him. So the, the, the choice of deciding between basketball and baseball was never going to be easy. Um, but whatever sport he was in, he was going to give 100%. Uh, ba- baseball had fall baseball, back baseball, and just throw, but he never missed a basketball uh, workout. Um, and then when the- it was all baseball. But, um, you know, I was talking to Lute Olson a couple of years ago, and he told me, that all his years at Arizona, one of his all-time favorite players was Mark Hendrickson. Um, and Mark was inducted into the Washington State University uh, Hall of Fame. And he called he called uh, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, and I'd like for you to come. And this was uh, September, uh, about, about two years ago. So um, I asked my um, wife, I said, do you want to – I said, I'm going to go. And so we, we took off and flew out to Spokane. It's the first time we've been to Spokane in years and years and years. And it was in September, and it couldn't have been more beautiful. Um, there by the river, just a beautiful, beautiful time to be in uh, Spokane. But it was great to catch up with Mark uh, and his mother. Uh, uh, a lot of guys there that, that I was at Washington State with. But, um, you know, handling Mark was a challenge because of his, his analytical mind. He made you think because he was a thinker. You know, recruiting, recruiting uh, Mark, he wanted to come to Washington State, Dan, but he, he had to be convinced that we were going to win. He didn't want to lose. And how he was going to be the difference in us winning and losing. I said, you can go a lot of places, and, and you're there four years, and people just don't remember you. I said, Mark, you have a chance to be a difference maker here. You're one of the best players in the state. Right now, the best players in the state, they don't go to Washington State. But if you do, somebody else will come play with you. Um, uh, he liked that, but the, um, I, I don't think I've ever worked as hard to build a relationship with a young man as I did Mark. Uh, and then I had a, an assistant coach at the time named Jason Rabideau, who was a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, recruiter. Um, he was creative, he was artistic. He would draw pictures of things and send to Mark. And uh, I think Mark appreciated our effort in recruiting him, the relationship we built with him, uh, and that's one of the reasons he came. But uh, you talk about a warrior, um, an absolute uh, competitor. Um, Mark, Mark, is, Mark is at the top. I love Mark Hendrickson. Yeah, I remember as a young kid growing up just outside Portland, watching him play, watching your teams play. And I do remember some of those Washington State teams were very good. But if I'm correct, one year you guys had to win two games back-to-back at the end of the season to have a chance to win the NCAA tournament. And they were against two really good teams. I believe it was Cal and Stanford. Right. What is your message to a a team when, to use the overused cliche, your back's against the wall and you have to get a win or two? Well, if you go back – 
the previous weekend, Dan, we were in Arizona. We played Arizona State and Arizona back-to-back, and we had to win three or four at least and then win the two home games at B. So we played watch. We played Arizona State on uh, Thursday, and they were good, really, really talented. Um, they had that guard, uh, Headache Smith. They had, uh, I think it was Wayne that was just, just really good kid from California. Can't remember his name, but they were they were loaded. But we were good too. That was a really good team. Uh, Tony Harris from Garfield High School, um, Eddie Hill from Reseda, um, Mark Hendrickson from Mount Vernon, Tavares Mack from Nathan Hale, Tame from Sacramento, Dominic Allison from Los Angeles, um, Fred Ferguson from a junior college in Michigan. We had put together the best of that team was our character. No discipline problems. We had some kids that were a good kind of crazy, but but um, fun to be around, fun to coach. You know what I'm talking about when I say a good crazy. You know, we had a couple guys that on bed check, you, you probably would have to their bed twice. The next day, uh, or the next game, we played University of Arizona. Uh, either way, we never beat Arizona. But, boy, we had some great battles. Uh, uh, um, but that one day, get him in McHale. Um, like 52 all. Um, if you look up the final score, I'm sure it was 59, 56, something. We had a chance, and Fred Ferguson broke his nose and was bleeding all over the court. And uh, he was he was our rebounder and rim protector. When he went down, uh, I replaced uh, Tavares, and Tavares was a freshman. And that you know. That, that was that was a big separator there. Uh, but anyway, we lost that game, but we split. We go home. Uh, Brevin Knight in Stanford uh, with Mike Montgomery, we played them on a Thursday. Uh, we, had, we had already played them at their place tough, so we knew we were good enough to beat them. But we had, we had to play well. And uh, we, ran this little, we ran this little flex cut on the baseline where we would space the floor, uh, swing – the point guard would swing it to the four on a drag in the slot. Then we screened the corner and uh, flex cut Hendrickson, excuse me, um, um, Isaac Fontaine off Hendrickson. If Isaac was open, we'd throw the ball to him. If not, then Mark would step behind it and we'd throw it back to him in the corner. And Mark would be the shooter to drive it. And for some reason, that, that just they just could never stop that one little action. And we just wore them out with them and wind up winning. So now – uh, we've got Cal on Saturday, and they've got Jason Kidd, Lamont Murray, uh, Griggs. They got a, a Hendricks. Uh, uh, his father played Major League Baseball, I think, with the California Angels. Um, but they got a really talented team. We got down twenty-five to five. We were down twenty-five to five. We we didn't know whether we were on foot or horseback to start. It was Senior Day. Our kids were so emotional because they were so tight. They started crying. I said, cry after the game, for God's <laughs> sake. Don't, don't be in this huddle crying. So I had to do something to kind of snap them out of it. So I just, I just started screaming at them and tried to get them mad at me or, or, or something. But um, we came back and won, I think, 92 to 78. So there was a, almost a 30-some point turnaround uh, in that game. But um, – and then when the game was over, and I think that's the last time I've been back in Beasley. That would have been March of 1994. Um, but what, what, a, what a great environment. That place was packed. Uh, I can't remember the uh, seating capacity of Beasley. But 
but we had such great crowds uh, then. Our, fa our fans were tremendous. We had great student support. But, you know, like anywhere else, Dan, when, you know, I can remember uh, Gonzaga before you guys got there, before four months and uh, uh, Mark uh, took over. Um, you know, they were trying to build that program. Then once they took off, it just took off. But we were there at Washington State at that time. And that's why I didn't want to leave because I knew the following year we had Hendrickson back, Fontaine back. We had a great recruiting class coming in. Um, but that was such a fun time to be at Washington State. Bobo Brayton was doing great in baseball. Uh, Mike Price was the coach in football, doing great. We were, we, were doing, we were winning in basketball. It was just a great time to be a Cougar. And, and, and it's a great school to be coaching at because the fans are so loyal. You know, some of my um, um, greatest relationships uh, as far as coaching and, and fan uh, support was at uh, Washington State. Um, and and those, are, those are great memories to have, too. Yeah, I would agree that the, the fan support when things are really rolling uh, yeah. for Washington State uh, is tremendous. And I, and I know that from firsthand experience doing broadcasting games uh, at Beasley over the last few years. So you go from Washington State, Oklahoma, a little time at Indiana, then you go to the NBA. A couple of years in the NBA, you come back to the college game and you've had a tremendous amount of success in Houston. What did you learn during your time in the NBA that's allowed you to jump right back into the college game um, at a place, Houston, that a, a, quite a few people honestly think it's, it's a bad job, but you've made what is perceived as a bad job a really good job, and you've got that program rolling. Well, uh, when I first got to the NBA, um, one, my, best my best friend in the NBA and one of my best friends was uh, Greg Popovich, the coach for the uh, Spurs. Uh, he, and, he and I, uh, Mike Montgomery, Pop, and I were assistant coaches for George Carl in 2002 in the World Championship. And I hit it off then. Uh, I was a big walker. Uh, I used to work out all the time, but, you know, you get old, you, just, you, you don't run, you walk. And Pop was a walker. And he was big, you know, he and I would walk. We were, uh, th those, uh, our training camp was in San Francisco. So from our hotel, the W Hotel in downtown San Francisco to Chinatown, I think was 1.8 miles. But it was, once you got to Chinatown, you, you know, you've been to San Francisco, you know what San Francisco is like, Dan. I mean, those uh, hills are straight down, then you go straight up and you, you it's so windy. So if you want to work out, go walk around San Francisco. But um, Pop and I did that uh, every single day, and we would talk about our families, and we talk about life, and we talk about basketball, and we just got to be really good friends. And then I started taking my staff at Oklahoma uh, to San Antonio for training camp, and um, and in in between practices, uh, his staff and our staff would get together and we just exchange ideas. But um, and then from there, I was with Scott Skiles. Um, you know, you talked about Magic Johnson and Judd. Uh, in Judd's book, if you, if you want a great read, read Judd's book. But Judd's all-time favorite player was Scott Skiles. And, um, you know, Judd and I had, you know, that, our, our relationship. And, and so I had an opportunity to go to, uh, I think, New York. Um, um, there was three places I was thinking about going. But I went to, Mil I went to uh, Milwaukee to work with the Bucks because of Scott. 
And that's where I really learned to be an NBA coach from, from Scott Skiles. Uh, brilliant tactician, um, organized, uh, extremely, extremely smart, very intelligent, um, and, and knew exactly what he wanted to do in practice every day. Uh, like, uh, uh, I didn't, I, you know, I've been, I was a head coach at a young age, so I didn't really get to learn how to be a head coach from anybody else. But I learned a lot from Pop, uh, but I was only with him for uh, about two and a half months. Uh, Scott, I was with for three years. Uh, I learned to be an NBA coach. I didn't realize how little I knew. You know, there's an old saying, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Well, I found out what I didn't know when I got to the NBA. You know, I, I could help a college team win a game, but I was, I was not qualified to help an NBA team win a game, Dan. I, I was so inept. You know, I go back to my hotel uh, when I got to Milwaukee and realized, you know, this is so great for me because I get to learn. You know, I'm, and, um, and I did. I said, you know what? I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Uh, I'm, I just want to learn. Scott's uh, flow game, his early, early offense, his secondary stuff, his half-court stuff, um, the last two minutes taking the ball in on either sideline, how he took advantage of matchups. Uh, the different the different ways to defend pick and roll, you know we're playing Iverson. We're going to guard it this way, Marbury this way, Darren Williams this way, Chris. P you know that was a whole new world for me. Just how they scouted games, um, and then offensively, I knew what spacing was, but but I didn't really know what spacing was. Um, and just learning and learning how to relocate out of spacing and maintain your spacing. Um, so. Uh, I, I think it, it it helped me more than anything I've ever done in basketball has been in the NBA. And I had a lot of college coaches. Uh, I remember uh, Thad Mata, who at the time was a coach at Ohio State, was watching us play when I first got to Houston. He said, wow, I remember your, your teams at uh, Oklahoma. You, you guys are doing so much different. What, what, what are you doing different now that you, uh, than then? And I talked to him about – Many times I talked to Thad about that, but uh, you know, college coaches want to learn. You know, end of game situations, how to manipulate the clock a little better. I, I learned to do that. Um, take advantage of uh, switching teams and get the right matchup, and then ISO and, and flatten flatten the uh, baseline and let a guy go play versus a switch. You know, there's so many things that you think you know that those guys. There's no recruiting. There's there's no uh, speaking engagements. It's you know, you're on a 10-game, five uh, – excuse me, 10-day, five-game road trip. All you do is meet, and you talk basketball. And, and I loved it, and, and I learned so much. It, it made me a, be a much, much better coach when I came back to college because of my experiences. And then when I got to the Rockets with Kevin McHale, well, Kevin wasn't as X and O driven as Pop and Scott, but um, um, the way he um, was able to delegate – and let his ego not get involved. And, and uh, I was the associate head coach for the Rockets, so I got to do things with Houston that I learned in, in uh, San Antonio and Milwaukee. Um, and then Kevin had some really tough personal issues, and I think I was the interim head coach maybe 14 or 15 games. And that gave me the confidence to be a head coach in the NBA. Um, but I just brought all that, that back to college, uh, Dan, and, and – um, even to this day, you know, I have Zoom sessions with our staff. Uh, one of my best friends is the um, assistant coach with the New Orleans Pelicans. 
And so I had him make a presentation to our staff about what New Orleans is doing with their early offense. Uh, Jay Triano is the associate head coach with the Charlotte Hornets. I had Jay come on and make a presentation. So the relationships I built in the NBA were strong. Um, and, and I still lean on those guys to find out what, what is the cutting edge? What's new? What do you, what, what do you guys, what did you stumble on that you like? And, um, you know, using those guys and their experiences to help our staff, I think, has been really good, too. That's one of the best ways that I've heard uh, described about the differences of, of college and NBA and what somebody has learned and then how to apply it uh, to either level. That, that was awesome. Last question before I let you go, because um, I'm, I'm sure you've got to enjoy that heat down in, in Houston. <laughs> um, Houston, you've had six years now. You had back-to-back NCAA tournaments. You guys more than likely were going to make it this year before the NCAA tournament was canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. What is the ceiling for Houston? Because you guys seem to be trending upward uh, yeah. each year. It's been great to see. Well, you know, we've had um, – we're, we're good – you know, we've beaten Oregon, LSU, Ohio State, um, Arkansas. Um, you know, we, we haven't played anybody, Dan, that I didn't think we could beat. Um, you know, our league's been good. Uh, Connecticut won the national championship out of this league in 2014. That was the year before I got here. But uh, the job Mick Cronin did at Cincinnati made them a, a consistently good team. Uh, their, their new coach, John Brandon, is going to do the same thing. Um, uh, Penny Hardaway, uh, the way they recruited Memphis, um, Wichita State with Greg. Uh, um, and then, you know, programs like South Florida, Tulsa. You know, some really, really good coaches uh, in this league. Um, you know, one of the things is we've really invested in basketball here, which is one of the reasons I – uh, when when I was making a decision to come do this, uh, you mentioned that this was a uh, thought of as a bad job. It, it was, and that was why I took. It. I, I didn't want to take a good job. I wanted to take a job that that needed me to rebuild it, but I needed to rebuild it. You know, I I, I wanted to do that. My son had just gotten fired at uh, Appalachian State was in a job she was uh, doing well in, but maybe not happy in. And, and uh, I saw this as an opportunity to hire my son and, and experience this with him because I, I thought he was pretty good. Uh, I didn't realize how good he was until after he got here because uh, he's been a huge part of uh, this success. Uh, hiring a non-basketball coach on your staff, I think, has uh, um, increased our – our um, visibility, 12, all 12 months, my daughter's in the design graphics. She's a social media uh, savant. Uh, she's unbelievable with how she works our program uh, in the community, fundraising, uh, external operations. She does that. So being able to experience this with my family, this has been the best job I've had because of that. Um, but I think our ceiling is high. Um, uh, can we win? Can, are we good enough to win a national championship? Well, two years ago, we lost to Michigan. They had a kid that hit, hit one of those oh-no shots uh, yeah. from about 40, 40 feet. And as soon as it left his hand, I knew that doggone thing was in. It was just, hurry up and go in so I can cry. That's, <laughs> kind, of the way, that's kind of the way I felt. And then the next year, you know, we, we beat uh, Georgia State, Ohio State. 
and we're up three with under a minute to go against Kentucky. And uh, um, Tyler Hero kid hit a big, big shot uh, uh, to beat us. But, you know, that year we went 33-4. and four. I thought we were good enough to get to the Final Four. We scrimmaged Texas Tech earlier, and I thought that – you know, we're as good. We can play with them. I don't know if we can beat them, but we can play with them. You know, we because we had that kind of team. Um, last year's team was young. We we were mostly freshmen and sophomores. Uh, we had 12 of our 13 players back for this coming season. Uh, one kid decided to put his name in the draft and keep it there. But we've got really good uh, uh, depth at guard. Um, you know, I, I think if um, – if things were to break right, I, I think we're good enough to play with just about anybody on a given year. But I don't think we have the kind of program that can do that every single year. You know, like uh, what Mark has done at Gonzaga, for instance. I think we're where they were a while a ways ago. That you know, uh, you know, cyclical. We hit a cycle where we can can beat just about anybody, and then maybe the next two or three years we're gonna have to build to get back up there. Whereas Gonzaga's there right now, every year they're probably one of the top five teams in the country. You know, that's not who we are. But uh, in a given year, I think we can. Uh, and that's the fun about building this. We have a $25 million uh, development center, beautiful practice facility. We've got a brand-new arena. Um, those things have really elevated us in this state with, with, uh, with recruits. So we're recruiting at a high level. We're winning at a high level. Uh, our administration is behind us. Uh, we have great fan support. So uh, how good we can be, uh, we're going to find out because we're going to keep working to, to continue to uh, raise our ceiling. Well, Coach, I appreciate you joining uh, the ISO with Dan Dickow on SB Live Sports. Hopefully our paths cross with some of my broadcast travels. Cause Hope so, Dan. I've seen you with the blue shirt on TV. I hope to see you uh, in person this upcoming season and calling one of your games. So thanks again for joining. I look forward to that, Dan. Thanks for having me on. ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
A-V on YouTube.